monetizing digital services since 2004, boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone. AWG, where innovation meets monetization. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. If you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Ian Ziskin about the secret sauce for leading transformational change. Ian Ziskin, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Great to be with you, John. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Sweden, evening for you, morning for me here in south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about your book, The Secret Sauce for Leading Transformational Change. I love the title. Uh, I love everything about leading change and transformational change. So I think this will be a really fun conversation. As we get started, I just wanted to share Ian's brief bio with everybody. Ian Ziskin, president of Exec Excel Group LLC, has 40 years of experience as a business and human resource leader, board advisor, and member, coach, consultant, entrepreneur, teacher, speaker, and author. His clients and corporate work span the aerospace and defense, automotive, chemical, consumer products, education, electronic components, energy, entertainment, financial services, healthcare, high-tech, and IT manufacturing, pharmaceuticals, professional services, retail, and telecommunications industries. So essentially, you do everything. Um, it's awesome. Great background. Uh, pleasure to have you with me. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. Uh, anything else you would like to share with me or my audience before we just dive on into talking about your book? Yeah, it's an honor to be here, of course. And um, maybe just one thing I'll emphasize for your uh, your listeners you know, I spent of those 40 years uh, over the course of my career, about the first 28 or so working for large companies, primarily uh, in the human resources area. And then the last almost 13 years now, uh, more of an entrepreneurial existence running my own coaching and consulting business. So all of those different industries that you mentioned in the kind introduction that you did uh, are a bit of a combination of my corporate perspective and my coaching and consulting perspective. Yeah, perfect. Thank you for that. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive on in. And maybe you could start by just telling us a little bit about why this book, Why Now? I always love to hear from authors about why they spend the time. Uh, it's a labor of love to to get everything into a book and to to get it out there into the world. So why this book, Why Now? Why is it important? 
Certainly a labor of love. I would agree with that. And if I go back now, maybe a, a couple of years, uh, like many of us, you know, sitting in my house during uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, watching what was going on, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world in terms of uh, the very unfortunate consequences, needless to say, of the health issues uh, that people were dealing with as a result of COVID. But in addition, economic disruption, a lot of uncertainty, organizations virtually overnight, you know, having to move from the, you know, typical face-to-face, everybody shows up and works in the same place kind of model that most people were used to, to uh, working in a much more remote way. Same thing with schools. Uh, And then even if you look uh, from the political landscape, a lot of political division around things that were happening related to COVID and all the other uncertainties that I just mentioned. And so I started thinking a lot about what does it take to survive and possibly even thrive uh, during times of large-scale transformational change. So that was actually the first impetus. Uh, And then the second driver for the book was much more about, you know, missing the human interaction and working with people, uh, as I have loved to do over the course of my career, and uh, wanting to create something through the book that would ultimately end up being a highly collaborative project with a wide variety of different inputs so that it wasn't just focused on uh, Ian's view of the world or or of leading transformational change. And that's really what motivated me to uh, put the book together in the first place. Yeah. Well, I always love to hear the backstory because I think that in and of itself is fascinating. And I think you're right. I think many of us during COVID, you know, we had those opportunities to sit back and and reflect on the world and on ourselves, our our professional life, our, you know, our career, career trajectory. I think many of us started projects uh, during COVID that maybe we wouldn't have done otherwise um, because we we just had that opportunity and we wanted to connect with people in a time when it was harder to connect. So I totally get it. And uh, I appreciate uh, that overview. All right. So why don't we get into um, the book a little bit more in terms of the content? And before we talk about the secret sauce, I'd love for you to define for us your perspective uh, on leading transformational change. Uh, what is change? What is transformational change? And then, you know, how, why is it important to think about how we're leading that change? Well, you know, as we were beginning to think about answering certain questions related to the book, there were a a number which we can touch on if you'd like. But one in particular that was a bit of a hypothesis for us was all transformation is change, but all change is not transformational. And and in putting the book together, we were trying to verify that or or refute it. It turns out, uh, having now written the book, we uh, did come to the conclusion that, uh, in fact, um, all transformation is change, but not all change is transformational. And the definition that that I pieced together as we were building the book goes something along the lines of uh, the, the following. It's really about uh, rethinking and repositioning the what, why, how, who, when, and where uh, associated with uh, basically uh, four things and, and really trying to get your arms around dramatically changing these four things. And that would be either the effectiveness, the happiness, the health and or survival of someone or something. And therefore, at least from our view uh, of transformational change and uh, that definition, 
it tends to suggest uh, something pretty systemic, something that's pretty sustainable, meaning that it, it sticks, you know, for a long period of time uh, and has a lot of tentacles associated with it, rather than what you might tend to think of as a tweak or something that's much shorter term. So change, in, in my view anyway, would be something that could be very short term. It could be a tweak. It may actually be extremely important, but it's usually not as systemic. It's not as long term. Uh, it's not as transformational, as you might suspect, given the definition, uh, as the comprehensive things that we saw over and over again uh, throughout this book. Yeah, yeah. And I think that distinction between change generally, transformational change uh, more specifically, uh, is important to make. Uh, and, you know, the, the number that gets thrown around with change initiatives is that 80% or more of change initiatives fail. Um, you know, it, it's one of those numbers, 80%, uh, I don't know. But the, basically, people have analyzed it uh, using different metrics. And usually, it's a really high percentage of change initiatives that don't go the way you plan, don't have the impact that you would hope that it would have. And of course, any sort of major change, transformational change is going to be even harder to implement. And that's why you need good leadership, good facilitation. You need a plan in place to guide the change. And that's so often why these initiatives fail, um, why transformational change can't take hold, uh, because bureaucracies are built to maintain the status quo. Organizations exist to self-sustain themselves. And when you're trying to disrupt things uh, in a way that, you know, people naturally tend to resist because we like things to be at least somewhat predictable, we like to at least feel like we have some control, um, we don't like to be thrown into the messiness of change. We need skilled people with competencies and capabilities to lead and guide that change. That's why people like you and me exist in terms of our consulting and coaching work. Um, that's why you need really uh, experienced professionals within organizations that are helping to guide these things. Um, and that's, I guess, where we're going to get into the secret sauce. Like, what can we do to make this more effective so that instead of looking down the barrel of a 70, 80 plus percent failure rate of change initiatives, like we we have a reasonable uh, opportunity to have success uh, if we just do some some basic things uh, consistently and correctly over time. Monetizing digital services since 2004, boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone. AWG, where innovation meets monetization. Well, first, you know, let me confirm, you know, your experience, John, you know, very consistent with uh, our experience as the lead author of this book. Uh, we saw a story after story, example after example of, you know, things that worked as well as things that uh, failed and frankly didn't work. Uh, the 70 to 80 percent number is the number I've heard many times over in terms of uh, large scale change initiatives, in fact, failing. Uh, and there are some patterns as to what tends to suggest uh, a higher likelihood of success, as well as things that tend to suggest a uh, higher likelihood of failure. One of the things I'll, I'll start with, just to build on the point you were making, is uh, become fond of referring to the book uh, as 200 voices in under 200 pages. And uh, the reason why I want to emphasize that now is because all these different uh, essays that people contributed to the book and uh, interview write-ups that other people contributed to the book, 
that were um, stories and experiences of um, successful uh, examples of leaders, in fact, leading change, as well as a lot of the survey input that we got, uh, began to point to some very consistent patterns and themes. And uh, to be able to express those patterns and themes literally in under 200 pages, because as we've, I think, all learned, uh, it's getting harder and harder to get people to read 400-page books, even though there's many good ones uh, out there. Now, some things that started to jump out at us over and over again, both on success and failure, let me, I'll just emphasize a couple uh, for now. And if you want me to get into more depth on certain other ones, we certainly can do that. But one of the things that really started to come out uh, in so many ways was the fact that human beings have this almost limitless capacity to deny, deflect, explain away, rationalize uh, around facts or data that do not reinforce our preferred view of the internal or external environment. So, you know, if you're looking for some some underlying, very obvious examples and reasons why 70 or 80% or more uh, of big, large-scale transformational change efforts fail is because a lot of human beings and a lot of organizations culturally tend to display this capacity to ignore the truth and ignore what's happening around them. And therefore, as a result, either rationalize what we're currently doing and therefore sustain it or uh, ignore what's happening. And therefore, we take so much longer than we could or should uh, in order to get started on a change initiative that's actually needed. And, uh, you know, we tend to talk about it in the book, uh, even in the forward of the book, uh, as, you know, start with the truth, understand what's happening around you, define reality, pay attention to the facts and data that not only reinforce your preferred view, but more importantly, reinforce what's actually happening. Uh, and then you have a much, much higher chance of getting started and getting traction and making things happen. So that almost by story, by story, by story throughout the book uh, was something that really leaped out as rather consistently. And that's consistent with my experience too, both in my own experiences, but also talking with other professionals who've been through these experiences as well. Um, so that tracks with me. And I suspect as you know, for the audience, as you're listening to this, you've all experienced change initiatives. You've experienced ones that have gone well. You've experienced ones that have not gone well. You've experienced leaders who have been you know, rather adept at navigating and facilitating all of this change. You've been, you know, working with, you've had experience working with leaders who have been inept in working with these processes. Um, we've all experienced, I think, all of these things because change is just so constant and the rate and, you know, pace of change has only accelerated uh, in recent years and recent decades. Um, so the reality is I think we've all experienced it and we all kind of intuitively know when we see something not going well, when we see it not going right. Um, and it's not just kind of armchair quarterbacking or water cooler complaining. I mean, it's like you can usually tell when things aren't going well. Um, and it often comes down to some pretty basic things. Uh, at the forefront, in my experience, has been communication breakdowns, um, which 
is connected to, but also leads to um, disenfranchisement and lack of trust of line workers, middle managers, you know, with the the higher level um, leaders within the organization, the systems, the policies, practices, procedures within the organization. Uh, and so if people don't trust what you're doing, it, uh, they're not going to buy into it. Uh, if you're not communicating transparently and openly with them, they're not going to trust you. Um, they're going to fill in the gaps, the, the information gaps with whatever conspiracy theory might be floating through their mind, may be accurate, may not be accurate, but guess what? People are going to talk and they're going to fill in the gaps. And so we have to make sure that we're keeping trust and buy-in at the forefront of our, our aims and goals as we're going through this process. And that can only happen as we have regular, open, transparent communication. And I always say, it's better to over communicate. If you under communicate, it's like the death nail. But you know, over communicating sometimes people get annoyed by it. But I would much rather be over communicated with than constantly have questions and wondering about well, why are they doing this? Why didn't they do this? Uh, what are their ulterior motives? And like all the rumination that goes along with that. Well, John, if I could uh, pick up on your completely accurate, in my experience, theme uh, around communication. Uh, and going back to this idea of starting with the truth and defining reality, for sure, communication is one of the most important elements of what we're talking about. The tweak I'd like to put on that, if I could, is that you know most leaders almost immediately tend to gravitate to the concept of communicate means tell, tell, tell. You know, my job is to explain to you over and over and over again the compelling rationale for change. Uh, and that, of course, is actually really important, but it's only part of the, the job. The other element of communication, which really matters a lot here uh, in terms of building the trust that you were referring to uh, and getting the type of traction and action that comes from that traction is listen, 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 because it turns out that most people, particularly deeper in the organization you go, actually in many ways are closer to the customer. They're closer to issues and problems and obstacles that exist inside the organization that are getting in the way of the organization or the individual performing at their best. Uh, and so, you know, anybody who's listening to our conversation, uh, who's a leader uh, or is in a leadership position to influence other people's thinking so important to get the benefit of what other people are experiencing and feeling in the organization. That's how you build trust is not only telling people what's really happening around them, but listening to people's own sense of reality of what's happening around them. Uh, and the more listened to they feel, at least in our experience in writing this book, the more likely it is they'll feel heard uh, and influential and have ownership over the kinds of things that we're asking him to do differently or better because we're listening. The other thing, if I could, just to add to uh, the points that we're trying to make here, is we're, we're usually attempting to overcome a common misconception that we saw repeatedly uh, in writing our book. And that is that somehow or another, highly successful, large-scale transformational change efforts are all about the ability to anticipate 
and prepare for well in advance the significant need for change. Uh, and therefore, we tend to highly value people who can see around corners and really do anticipate what's going to happen before it happens and who have this amazing magical ability to uh, connect the dots <clears throat> among and between seemingly disconnected things. And all of this preparation and, and anticipation somehow or another in our minds uh, seems to be more, quote unquote, strategic and there are certainly plenty of examples, including in the book, but also in life in general, of organizations and people who are really good at anticipating the need for change. But it turns out that there are actually many more examples of situations where we didn't see the need for change coming at all. We weren't well prepared. We didn't have much anticipation. Uh, probably the best example of this that we've all lived through the last couple of years is COVID, where, you know, I don't know about you, John, but I certainly wasn't smart enough to see COVID coming. But what I did see is a lot of people and organizations responding with a sense of agility and, and speed to try to deal with what had just uh, hit us all. And so, uh, there's, there's this misconception that somehow we're quote unquote more strategic if we can anticipate and prepare. That's great when it happens, but there's actually many more situations where uh, we just get hit with it and we have to deal with it. And probably my favorite quote that maybe illustrates the point is uh, from Mike Tyson, the former heavyweight boxer who was being interviewed by a member of the media in advance of a heavyweight bout. Uh, who asked Tyson what his strategy was for the fight. And and Mike Tyson's response was, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think there's all kinds of examples in life of uh, individuals and teams and organizations and even societies getting punched in the mouth constantly. And how we respond to those punches is equally, if not more important to our ability to succeed in leading transformational change than any capability that we might have had to anticipate it before it happened. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball, but even if we like have really great foresight and are able to look around the corner and have really good indication of what might be coming, we never know everything that's going to be happening. And so you have to be able to iterate and pivot. You have to be adaptable uh, and you have to be able to roll with the punches. That's the name of the game with change, right? And if you can't do that, you know, I, in my mind, that's probably the most important capability uh, of uh, being an effective change agent and helping organizations build a culture around change um, is that you just have to be a highly adaptive, highly iterative and willing to make adjustments along the way uh, and be and uh, be really adaptive. And if you can't do that, if you, if you're not able, ready, and willing as an organization and as individuals within the organization to roll with the punches, to pivot when things don't work the way you thought they would work, you know, then you're in big trouble um, because we just don't know the future, regardless of how much we wish we did. Um, you know, we we may uh, think we do, or we may think we have a really, really, really great plan. Uh, the reality is we just never fully do. And I do want to reiterate what you were saying about with the communication piece that we were both discussing. Absolutely. Listen, 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 listen. And if you don't listen, you're not communicating. You're just telling people and just telling people does not generate 
buy-in. It does not generate ownership. It does not generate commitment to the change initiatives that need to be happening. So not only do you need to communicate the why behind the change, you need to be supportive of the processes and and the shifts and that people are going through and the challenges that they're facing. You, You better listen through that whole process and have many opportunities, many opportunities throughout the change process to continually get input and feedback, to act on that feedback. And that will allow us to iterate just like the way we've been talking. Well, it also turns out that everything we've been talking about so far has baked in some inherent conflicts or competing priorities. Uh, In the book, we talk a lot about this idea of competing priorities that need to be reconciled or mastering paradoxes. Uh, I I refer to it in in the book as the beauty of and, you know, and there's all kinds of combinations of things that are seemingly in conflict one with one another. And they seem to be in conflict because they actually are. (laughs) But it turns out if you're going to uh, successfully lead any kind of transformational change, you actually have to be able to reconcile these conflicts. And, and one that we haven't touched on quite specifically, I'll just I'll mention to build on what we were discussing a few minutes ago, uh, is you might think of speed and rhythm as being one of the more important inherent conflicts to be reconciled. Why? Because, uh, as you were saying, you know, needing to have a certain amount of uh, agility and responsiveness to things that are happening around us. One of the things that's kind of intuitively obvious, but really hard to make happen, is most successful change efforts generally mean that we're going to end up moving faster than has historically felt comfortable, either historically for us as individuals or uh, historically for what the organizations that we're part of are used to. And so speed matters and you have to move you know, faster than you, you typically have in the past. However, rhythm also matters, you know, particularly if you're trying to bring other people along with you. And here's my way of thinking about it. I, I play a little bit of guitar, certainly not well enough to make a living at it, but perhaps, uh, you know, many of your your listeners also have had some experience with uh, music and musical instruments and uh, you know, any musician that I've ever talked to, I've never heard one ever say to me, uh, a song is enhanced simply by playing it faster and getting it to the end more quickly. You know, generally what musicians will say is we have to have a certain cadence. We're at- attempting to achieve a certain pace. We're getting uh, all the participants in the band uh, basically trying to play off the same sheet of music and uh, create some harmony. Uh, and just playing faster doesn't get you where you want to go. And that analogy really applies well here to leading change, just moving faster, especially if you're moving faster than the rest of the organization can be brought along to participate in and contribute to the success, basically creates chaos. Uh, my way of thinking about it is speed without rhythm is noise uh, and speed with rhythm uh, actually makes for beautiful music, but it also makes for highly successful transformational change. 
Yeah, very well said, Ian. This has just been a fantastic conversation. I note the time. Unfortunately, we're going to have to pause and end the conversation there today, and I need to let you go. But before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity to do that. So we do have a a dedicated book website uh, at www.transformationalchangebook.com where anyone who's interested in the book can learn a little bit more about the content, the contributing authors, uh, order the book, and also reach out to me and and the rest of us uh, if there's additional questions or conversation that anyone would want to have going forward. Uh, The last point I'll make in terms of the the title of the book, taking us back to the the quote unquote secret sauce for leading transformational change. Uh, one of my favorite uh, analogies that we took a look at uh, in the book is around uh, the analogy of pizza. Uh, and I won't go through the entire story about the pizza's connection to leading transformational change other than to leave everybody with this final quote, which is believe in yourself. If cauliflower can become pizza, you can become anything. Very good. Thank you, Ian. It has just been a real pleasure. I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Ian and his team can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.